0: somebody Paul's letter to the Roman church and we get the the, uh, the privilege of studying a text that I think is one of the most captivating statements to be found in any place in the Bible let me uh, read you the first four verses and our attention will be directed at verse 4 for tonight Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That, um, that last clause is, is one of my favorite statements in the whole Bible. That the goodness of God leads you to repentance? One of the things that we discovered in, um, in chapter 1 is that God has committed himself to judge all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men and because he has promised to do so he uh, he certainly must and will but then in his um, inflexible hatred of sin how has he found it possible to forgive sinners well there's only one answer to that question ladies and gentlemen and that is that he has punished uh, my sin in the person of his own son so my point is simply this this time that, this this issue that we've spent so much time on this judgment of god is something that really gives rise and introduces the great uh, thoughts about the atonement did, did, did you get that how in the midst of this judgment how does god find it possible to forgive anybody well he does it because he's punished sin in his own son so in 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 one respect It is via that um, that, um, introduction of this this issue of God's judgment that we get introduced to the promises of the atonement that he has accomplished in his Son. Now, um, one of the words that we did not address in verse 3, I want to go back and kind of get a running start. Um, Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Um, there's only one escape, ladies and gentlemen, and that's really not the right word, but, and that is to be found hidden in Christ. But, gang, I would suggest to you that the world is as it is tonight because men still think that somehow they're going to escape this, this judgment of God. There's a statement in, in, in Psalm 50 where uh, the psalmist says, these things you have done and I kept silent, you thought that I was altogether like you. And that is the great hope of, of the world today, that that he's just a glorified version of me, and that somehow I'll be able to escape this thing that I've heard all the Baptists talk about, you know. Um, and 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 for whatever way I don't know how it's going to all work out, but I'm going to. It's not going to happen to me. And the and the world goes on in its laughter and its merriment and devising all kinds, all manner of of subterfuges to convince themselves that that they're going to escape this. And in his attempt, he he raises this one objection. And then the Christian church comes along and says, well, let me tell you why that's not true. Knocking that objection down. And then he raises another objection and says, well, but how oh, do this? And then the Christian church answers that. And that gets blown. And he raises another and another and another. My, my point all that, ladies and gentlemen, is that it is exactly what these Jews are doing. Which, and, and the very thing that Paul is seeking to address um, Paul is seeking to, to to press home in a kind of a crescendo fashion. Um, <laughs> here's an argument, but you must consider this. and here's another argument, but consider this and, and here's another argument, but that doesn't hold water either. And, and on and on he goes as he displays his understanding of the different facets of a Jewish mindset. Paul is is... Um, Addressing these arguments because he knows that they are in the mind of the Jew because he was one. He understands how a, a, a Jew is thinking, and so he addresses his argument. Um, it, 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 he precludes their argument, he anticipates their argument because he understands their minds so well. Let me pause just to say, real briefly, kind of a word of application. Gang, um, there's a principle there. The best people to reach these people was Paul, because Paul understood them so well. And the, and the best way to reach people is when we are very familiar with how they think. For instance, nobody reaches an alcoholic like an alcoholic. Um, there is a sense, gang, that you are better equipped to, to reach this culture than I am. I mean, it takes a sinner to reach this culture, and obviously I'm not a sinner. But but, but it, my point is, you are exposed to how that culture is thinking so much more frequently than I get the privilege of being. You ought to be able to understand how they think and, and be better equipped to address what they're, and just as we find Paul doing here. You remember, the argument began with, uh, the first phase of it is, okay, um, my Jewishness won't keep me from the wrath of God, all right, and then, uh, okay, then, then um, uh, and, and then, uh, now you tell me that God judges according to truth, therefore, there's not going to be a mistake in his judgment. Uh, well, okay, um, but what about the goodness of God? You know, uh, Paul. Uh, uh, God has always been good to Judaism. I mean, uh, uh, He's been good to us over centuries. He couldn't possibly judge. All that to say, that is what's giving rise to the argument of verse four. Um, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God? Lead you to repentance. Do you see what the Jew is doing? Okay, okay, Paul, you've answered that question and you've answered that uh, objection that I've raised. But in the final analysis, I'm safe, I'm secure, because God has displayed such goodness. And even using the goodness of God to develop a false sense of security um, just as an aside game, it, it, I, I said this several weeks ago, but it's one of the uh, frightening dimensions of sin that it can blind us so that even the goodness of God, even we can misuse and mishandle the goodness of God, even that produces a security that we ought not have. That is, we at least find it happening here. People who are in possession of the word of God, plainly that I mean this book plainly outlining their sin, and them reading right over that and saying, Well, but God is good, he would never, they would never do that. And as they as they read the the Bible. <laughs> Their sin has blinded them to the plain message that is found there and they take this book and twist it to suit their own case that's what sin can can do ladies and gentlemen we, we, we can read right over those passages that are things that we need feel we need not listen to you know one of the things that I love to do and if you've if you've taken my um my systematics theology in uh, my systematic theology class you're you're not free to answer the next question so uh, i only want wrong answers here um, but I, I i give a bible quiz in my systematics class and i and I, 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 I here's the verse now if you've taken the class you can't answer the the verse is in John chapter 3 okay i'm not trying to trick you by misquoting it but here's the text Jesus is speaking unto Nicodemus and he says to Nicodemus unless you are born again you cannot blank the kingdom of God and I ask them I turn to them I say okay here's the text unless you are born again you cannot blank the kingdom of God all I ask them is to fill in the blank just tell me what the blank is go ahead don't do it don't do that because you're you really won't let me just say, if you are out there and you put, you put that word in the blank, you need to go back. You need to listen to what I'm saying tonight because you have just done the thing that I just said sin prompts us to do. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that word is not in that text. And you have read over it year after year after year and not seeing what the text says. It's John 3, 3, by the way. And you will not find that word. But in our minds, that's what's there. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's serious when the people of God do something like that. But the non-Christian world, in possession of the truth of God, we right over it. Places that clearly denounce and outline God's hatred of sin, they read right over them, twisting the very book that is supposed to illuminate them. Um, I, let me show you one more of those. I, I just, I, I think this is downright comical. Uh, if you got your Bibles open, turn to John eight real fast, because again, I, I'm just trying to point out how sin deceives us. You've heard of the deceitfulness of him. Well, it certainly is. This is in John chapter 8 where Jesus says, let me see what Jesus says. <laughs> I'll see it in a moment. There's what Jesus says. Um, here it is, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, now listen to this. This is verse 33. This is comical. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will, make me make, uh, you will be made free? Now look at that sentence. We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. What about Egypt? What about Babylonian captivity? How can these people listen to the, the voice of Jesus and say, well, not me. We had not been in captivity to anybody. Their sin had even blinded them to the facts. And they could make such a ridiculous, outlandish claim for getting their own history. Because that's what sin will do to you. And it, when that blindness affects our understanding and our reading of this book, gang, then it gets real, real serious. well, Really, back to verse 4. Just in case you think that this thing that Paul is describing here uh, only takes place in periods 2,000 years ago or more, um, I want to suggest to you that this same thing happens with enormous frequency today. The most often used argument The most often used argument against the judgment of God is, as you know, God's love. Oh, that will never happen because God is a God of love. It's the same argument that you see Paul addressing here. People pitting God's love over against his His holiness. And they make fun of this this tribal idea of god that he is going to to judge oh jesus came and taught us differently that is a that is a passé concept because we know god to be a god of love that that is the same thing that you find people doing here which is the most frequently used defense against concerns about god's judgment today um you, you know um I think th- this is just a con- piece of conjecture on my part, but uh, you know I'm not a world traveler, and I'm not uh, I'm not Mr. M- missions guy. Um, I, I want to be I want to be m- more um, intensive about that, but but I have been on the mission field a couple of times, and I um. I've been to Ukraine. I've been to Haiti. Oh my! Um, I guess that's about all I've uh, all I've been to. But you know, um, I find, of course, people's willingness to share the gospel and people's willingness to listen to what you're saying is so much more. Frequent. I mean, you know, here you've got to be very careful about, like, you know, you got, you know, whether you got the right opportunity, where the door's open, all that. Just, over there? I mean, you just blab blab away. They're they're just here to listen to whatever you got to say. <clears throat> and I and I've often wondered why is that? Here's my piece of conjecture. You can uh, uh, consider it yourself. My conjecture is that what has happened in our country is that God's goodness has become the thing that is. Pardon, men. They look around, they seek opulence at every turn, and then somebody with this strange shrill voice says something about judgment, and they look around and they say, "What? What? But we enjoy such goodness here, and 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 all of these things which are nothing more than products of God's." Common grace on our land are the things that instead of leading men to repentance have caused them to commit the same mistake. Oh, no, 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 Jimmy. No, 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 no. God would never do that. Look. You see, in Haiti, they're not saying that because they don't have so many uh, goodnesses around them. But here the very thing that God's goodness is supposed to do it does the opposite. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice in the text that Paul causes calls that despising the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering. It's an interesting Greek word it's uh, it's a it's an infinitive um which means to um to form a low estimate of, to um to underestimate the value, to make cheap, to insult. Gang um I say to you that nothing, nothing is more reprehensible than talking about the love of God while continuing to live in a life of sin. And we're all guilty of that to some degree. And that's what that is the basic issue in verse four. People whose lives had been absolutely untouched and unchanged. hiding in the goodness and the love of God. Nothing is more reprehensible than to to speak in pious platitudes about God's favor and kindness and goodness while at the same time um, living an unchanged life. Gang, we, we misunderstand we misunderstand the goodness of God, supposing that it's a license to sin. At least these folks did. Surely that's not true of us, is it? Its intent is to lead us to forsake our sin, not minimize it. Um, let's imagine that my wife, who I adore, and adore more with the passing of time. But let's imagine that she decides, as an expression of her great love for me, um, she's going to cook the supper that she knows that I love, and she is going to set things up for a night that I would particularly and peculiarly enjoy. Um, and she's going to cook, and clean, and do everything that would just make me um, the happiest. And when I come home from the office, I I, I never take much note of what she's done. I I scarf it all down, you know, kind of communicating that I deserve this nice of a meal. And then then I complain about the laundry. What do you think will be the reaction of my wife to such behavior? You have taken my goodness, and you have despised it. You have have rendered it of little value. You have made it cheap. You have underestimated the value of what I've done. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, my brother and sister in Christ tell me, what should have been my response to her? Do you think thanks, or praise, or um, glad delight? Um, Well, what I'm suggesting is, what is my response to my health and my enjoyable marriage and the fact that my kids are reasonably sane, and that I have more money in my checking account than I'll probably ever spend. What is your reaction to that? What is your response? Has it led you to repentance? You know, years ago, (laughs) when we first moved up here, um, in 1985, I I had to take a job cut, excuse me, a pay cut for my job here in Memphis, uh, which I'm still bitter over. Um, <laughs> not really. I, I, I would have sold bananas on the street corner, uh, but but anyway, I had to take a pay cut, and and you know we uh, we weren't exactly, you know we preachers aren't known for their their high paying jobs. And I'm not complaining because I'm paid wonderfully, and I, I have no, I have no complaints. So, but, but anyway, back then, you know, I, to come from there to here, I had to take a, a job. I mean, a, a you know salary cut, and um, and didn't have a whole lot of um, you know extra income. And I had three consumers that, um, boy, were they ever consumers! Uh, you know, I, I remember, I remember when I first moved up here, I was asked to speak at ECS, where my children went, and I saw all these. Cute little dressed-up things out there, and I thought, <gasps> I mean, I've got to pay for clothes to send my girls out there to compete with that. You know, it was just—it was a stark realization that uh, I never got over. But, but anyway, um, I, we were trying to, you know, do everything we could to, you know, to equip them to battle. But um, one Christmas, my mother-in-law, who has never really liked me. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, she's, she's getting more used to me after 30 years. Um, but she never really was wildly enthusiastic about me marrying her daughter. Um, but my mother-in-law, um, for Christmas, you know, I, I'm a preacher. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to look fairly decent in front of people stop that. As if that were some kind of impossibility. Um, Well, I I, I wasn't what you would call decked out with new threads, you know. My mother-in-law, who never really liked me, went to Goldsmiths and bought me not one, not two, but three brand new suits. get into them any longer, but um, my mother-in-law, and, and then at Christmas time, I knew that, you know, my mother-in-law, she usually gives me, but three suits? Three. And at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, I faced an enormous crisis. Because she had the showered goodness on me. And you know what it's supposed, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, I have to tell you, for a very short term. (laughs) It did produce repentance in me. Have you ever had that feeling? (laughs) Getting something for Christmas that you know you didn't deserve? Being showered with kindness is ooh, you know, that that was really a nice thing that you did for me. I can't believe, well, at least for the next 24 hours I was nice. (laughs) Didn't last much beyond that, but for 24 hours, ladies and gentlemen, I was repentant. But what do you say? What do you say that your brain works and does so wirelessly? What do you say that when you leave here, you go home to a house that is... Every one of our houses are opulent. What do you say? What can you possibly... How can you possibly respond to a God? And and guys, I know that might be things that are kind of difficult, but you know... Every time Emily calls home and she's got something to complain about, about you know, I don't know. She doesn't, she can't go to Hawaii on spring break or something. You know, yeah, darling, I know. But and I, and I get so mad at her, and I and I step back and I think, you know, she's healthy. She's making good grades. She has a principle of righteousness within. She is. Um, she loves her mother. Um, She enjoys being at home. She has a rich set of friends. What are you complaining about, Jimmy? My my point is, gang, think about it. You are a recipient. We are recipients of enormous goodness from God, are we not? What you do? And with this, I'll shut up, but could we possibly, possibly be guilty of despising the riches of his goodness? Oh no, surely not. Have we made, have we underestimated? Have we made of low value? Have we made cheap? Have we, have we insulted the goodness of God or has it led us to repentance? You know, um, maybe this is not a very good illustration, but when I left seminary, um, I um, I was offered a job by the church where I came to know the Lord, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Jim Kennedy offered me a job. And um, I um, turned it down, and I think he's been mad at me ever since, but um, um, when, when they flew us down, um, they put us up in this nice hotel, and, and, um, and the church was right across the street from the hotel, and um, now there's a soccer field on that, uh, where that hotel was, but, but anyway, um, this church, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, has tennis courts, just a joke. Uh, but back then, I played a lot of tennis. Um, um, played a pretty decent game of tennis. And Jim Kennedy plays a real good game of tennis. He plays all the time, I guess that's what happens when you live in Fort Lauderdale and you got two tennis courts at your church. Um, and so he wanted to play tennis with me. So we went out there and we played tennis and, and I stayed right with him and I'm sure I beat him, I forget, But uh, um, but after the game, uh, we went. To, of course, you meet at the NET, that's what you're supposed to do, I think. And and so he he kind of looks at me, and I, this is an interview process. And he says, oh, well, Jimmy, tell me about uh, your dreams and your plans for ministry or something like that. Well, that was all I needed. And I began to rattle, <laughs> and I just, you know, it fusing all over him. And when I got through, he looked at me and he said, You know, if you rolled your wrist on your backhand, you could probably hit it harder. And I said, you didn't listen to a word I said, did you? He despised me. Have you ever been standing in a line when a celebrity passes by and they're shaking your hand the whole time they're looking at somebody else? Doesn't that rattle you? Wait a minute, buddy! The least you can do is look at me. You know, and and very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that I do in ministry, I try to catch you in the back of your retinas. But, But when you underestimate the value of, Paul calls that despising the riches. The riches of his goodness. Now, all I want to ask you, my dear brother and sister Christ, is this. What has your success done for your soul? What does your good marriage do ultimately for your soul? How about the fact that your kids are sane and healthy and reasonably tamed? What about the house that you live in that is so commodious? What about those two cars that sit in your house and the the portfolio that you're making fatter and fatter? What about the fact that you have abilities that are valued in this corporate community? What has that done to you? Are you repentance, Or are we guilty of despising the riches of God's goodness? Oh, might it not be true of Father, forgive us if we have um, misused, abused, and despised all of the kindnesses that you've showered on us. We are a rich people. Rich. We got money, too, but we are rich in having been lavished with all of the riches of your your kindness and goodness. Might we never despise them by underestimating the value of what you've done in our lives. But in the end, O God, might it produce in your people a greater hatred of sin and a greater love of righteousness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night. I'm sorry I forgot to dismiss you. I just got carried away there. So you need to get to the choir rehearsal and all those other meetings. There uh, it is. And there's basketball too, gentlemen, if you'd like to shoot some hoops.